Today on Ag News Daily. Again, mainly because of La Nina, 75% of all cases going back to 1950 you tend to get into a dry April through June. Now, I do see some rains and snows coming into Iowa and Nebraska over the next 10 to 15 days. That's going to be important. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Wednesday. We're halfway through the week. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, like I said yesterday, today was my first day of grad school, but I didn't even have any classes today. So I said that it was going to probably be a pretty stressful, busy day, but it's actually been pretty relaxed. Well, uh, lucky for you, my day has not been so relaxed, but uh, just normal dealing with the markets and farmers asking a lot of questions today. Um, you know, markets pulled back again today. So here at Trader PhD, we had a lot of farmers asking questions about what's going on. Should they be concerned? Should they be selling grains? So that's been what's on my plate today. But glad to be doing the podcast today. That's for sure. It gives me a nice little break from some of my other stuff I'm working on. Well, it's probably the most exciting thing about my day. I think all of my classes at this point are all online. So I'm going to be staring at the computer screen a lot. I need to invest in some of the the blue light glasses so my eyes don't get strained. Yes, you do. That's a good, good buy. I've got a pair. Well, Delaney, kicking things off here, talking about the news, I wanted to bring up a settlement from Tyson. We've been talking a lot about the price fixing lawsuits going on. In fact, we did a podcast about it last week, folks. So if you missed that, be sure to tune in at agnewsdaily.com. But it has been revealed through a filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission that Tyson has agreed to pay $221.5 million in a settlement in its broiler chicken antitrust civil pricing lawsuit. The settlement is to be reflected in the company's first quarter financial statement. The agreement allows Tyson to exit the price-fixing lawsuits filed against it and other poultry companies filed by customers and consumers. The settlement just comes after Pilgrim's Pride agreed to pay $75 million in a settlement earlier in the month on January 11th. In both settlements, the companies, however, did not admit liability. So regarding this week's filing with the SEC, Tyson said, quote, while the company does not admit any liability as part of the settlements, it believes that the settlements were in the best interests of the company and its shareholders in order to avoid the uncertainty, risk, expense, and distraction of protected litigation. So they're not taking full responsibility for, for you know, what was going on in the, the price fixing allegations, but it went ahead and did that settlement, you know, just after Pilgrim's Pride. So I don't think that this is the end, of course, but we will just keep our eyes out on any other allegations that may come to light. Yeah, and of course, they're not going to say that they did anything wrong. I mean, that move, that statement is a pretty typical corporate statement. So, I mean, Monsanto slash uh, what they transitioned to. I'm drawing a blank right now. Whoever they merged with, I can't think, Bayer. Uh, you know, that's a pretty typical move after you've got a lawsuit to say, oh, we're going to pay it anyways. We just want it to be done. We don't admit to any guilt. Sounds like that's the same thing that's happening here. Yes, I agree. And we kind of saw something similar in the Waterloo. I, for some reason, I can't remember the, the processor. Delaney you might have to remind me. But with the managers and the bets. Yeah, and Tyson. Mm -hmm. Okay, I couldn't remember who who it was there. But I mean, kind of just, you know, the same thing going on. But 
anyways, that's what I have starting things off. Delaney, what about you? Well, I've got a little bit of news as well in the legal realm here. And the Trump administration definitely went out with a bang last night. Um, or into today, I should say, as we saw the Biden administration fully take over as of noon today. But we saw the EPA yesterday, just on the final hours of their term, award three different biofuel mandate waivers. And this move definitely frustrated the renewable fuels groups, you know, um, the Renewable Fuels Association, Biodiesel and others. They don't understand why this happened so last minute. You know, President Trump was pro-ethanol or pro-biofuels the entire time during his administration, or so he said. And then we saw at the midnight hour, this action took place. Um, But the Renewable Fuels Association president and CEO Jeff Cooper said that they're going to challenge this action probably in court. He said that these were without legal merit and sounds like it's going to be a battle pursuing and just thought it was a really strange last minute move to see this happen as they head out of office. I I don't know what the win is by doing this, but definitely didn't make people in the ag industry very happy. It certainly did not, Delaney, and hopefully we can talk a little bit more about that later this week. But something else that that Trump did was issued 73 pardons and 70 commutations in his final hours of presidency. And I didn't dig too deep into this, but since you brought it up, I thought it, I just, I saw that he had pardoned Lil Wayne and a Kodak Black, who's another rapper. I'm not even sure what their charges were, but I think folks on at least Twitter were kind of thinking that was a little bit ridiculous and maybe even a little bit funny that he issued those pardons on, you know, the, on behalf of those rappers, but uh, just thought it was random. It's super random. Like I said, I don't really understand it. It, it, it seems like it's the administration's way to go out with the bang. I mean, there, there've been a lot of little strange things like this that have happened, but we are fully transitioned into a new administration now. And with that, we actually saw an interesting comment that was made yesterday that did not make folks in China very happy. We saw Treasury Secretary designate Janet Yellen assured senators at her confirmation hearing that China and climate change would be top priorities for the new administration. And she went on to say basically bad mouthed China during her um, confirmation hearing and the Chinese folks, you know, sharing officials over there, as well as others, we're not very happy about her comments. So we're starting things off here in the Biden administration with the bang as well, it sounds like. Well, Delaney, coming from 2020, I, the craziness just pursues in 2021, I guess. But talking about COVID-19, more specifically vaccines, the World Health Organization said earlier today that Three COVID-19 vaccines were in the late stages of review for possible emergency use listing, in addition to the one made by Pfizer and BioNTech already approved. An internal WHO document seen by, you're going to have to tell me how to say this again, Reuters? Yep. Perfect. Okay. Seen by Reuters gives timelines for the agency's possible vaccine approvals indicating that shots from Mardina, AstraZeneca, and China's Sinopharm and Sinovac could win emergency go-ahead in coming weeks or months. And I had no idea that so many companies were striving 
to push through a COVID-19 vaccine, but there are three in the final phase to be assessed for listing. There's two more still submitting, but in total, they have 13 vaccines mm-hmm. that are kind of going through the process, which was totally mind-blowing to me. But WHO Assistant Director General for Access to Medicines, Vaccines, and Pharmaceuticals, Mary Angela Samoa, said that the WHO was not aware of any deaths linked to the Pfizer vaccine nor any other vaccine. But I imagine it's just something that we are going to have to continue to keep our eyes out on, of course, because all these vaccines are you know, coming to light very quickly. Um, but definitely something to keep our eyes out on and whether or not they pass those total 13 vaccines to go into effect. Yeah, I hadn't realized either that there were so many vaccines out on the table, but I guess if you want a vaccine, it sounds like you're going to be able to get one sooner rather than later. You know, I think they were expecting a slow rollout to start. I was hearing spring for the majority of citizens to get a vaccine. But, hey, if there's 13 in the works, I guess some people will be able to get one earlier. Um, I want to transition here really quickly, Ashton to talk about another ongoing issue that we've been covering on the podcast quite a bit. And that is continued strikes going on in Argentina. We talked about port strikes. We've had some farmer strikes down in South America. We're now seeing, I guess you could say continued strikes with a group of truckers demanding better rates. And we've seen robot roadblocks set up by a group of truckers demanding these better rates, which are stopping cargoes from getting to the ports at Argentina's crop export hub or along the Parana River area. And so we've seen about 411 different trucks shut down or on strike uh, compared to, or excuse me, let me back up. We've seen just 411 trucks deliver product compared to usually about 3,100 for this time of year that we saw last year at this time. So we've seen really an 87% drop in the number of truckers willing to haul product to the Argentinian ports because of conditions and better wages or what they're striking for. But I know markets were down today. I know there's some other factors playing into things today, but really this is, again, kind of I don't want to say bullish for soybean markets, but definitely a little more bullish for soybean and grain markets. If we're not seeing products shipped out, you know, they're starting to head into their harvest time. But if they're not able to get the product from where they're producing it to the ports, that doesn't bode well for Argentinian exporters. That does bode well, however, for U.S. exporters and prices. Ashton, what do you say we hop into it and talk markets for today? Let's do it, Delaney. All right. Well, as I mentioned, we saw some continued sell-off. Folks getting a little nervous about the pullbacks we've seen in both soybeans and corn this week. But here at Trader PhD, at least, we're still bullish long-term for the grain markets. Kicking things off here in the March corn contract, down four cents today to close at 522. The May, down four and a half to close at 524. In the soybean pits, overnight trade was a little rough. We were down, you know, 20, 30 cents at one point. Didn't finish the day quite as uh, quite as in the red, I should say, but we did still see red on the board as the March soybean contract down 16 and a quarter centicles at 1369 and a half. The May down 16 tickles at 1367. Chicago wheat lower on the day as the March contract shed four and a half cents to close at 667. The May down five and a half tickles at 668. But in livestock, we had 
It's a mixed trade, I should say. April live cattle down 47.5 cents to close at 118.87. The June down 57.5 to close at 116.15. But feeders were higher today on news that their feed costs might be shrinking a little bit as the March feeder contract closed 72.5 cents higher to end at 137.52. April added $1.02 to close at 140.62. And in lean hogs. The February contract added $1.95 today to close at $68.42. The April up $1.65 to close at $73.07. And rounding things out here with our Class 3 dairy milk futures, February down $1.32 to close at $17.16. The March down $85 to close at $17.76. Now, since we've been talking a lot about South America, we thought it was timely to have on a weather expert to talk about what weather looks like down in South America heading into their harvest season as well as what you can expect here in the United States. Well, today on the podcast, we have Jim Romer, who is from Best Weather Inc. Jim, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. Look forward to it. So, Jim, before we get kicked off here talking about weather, weather patterns, La Nina, there's so much you know that we can talk about. But before we get kicked off, why don't you give us a little bit of history about you and why we should be paying attention to what you have to say about the weather? Well, out of college back in the early 80s, now give away my age, I'm still very young at heart. I drove uh, 2,000 miles from New York out to Iowa, Des Moines, to work for a company called Freeze Notice Weather. And... um, I remember I negotiated a salary for about $12,000 a year back then. That was a lot of money back in the early 80s. Anyway, I did weather consulting and build up their commodity division. I didn't know what the Corn Belt was back out of college in the early 80s. And I got a like a PhD in agricultural meteorology working for them in Des Moines. And over the last 35 years, been advising hedge funds and farmers all over the world with weather forecasting for all commodities and also trading strategies. So why don't you tell us just a little bit more about best weather for those who are interested in learning a bit more about weather and how it affects their operation, their crop, and that sort of stuff. Sure. So, you know, there's a million weather services out there, whether you're watching AccuWeather or looking at the Weather Channel, everything else, but there are very few that have spent 30 to 35 years years understanding the psychology of the grain markets. For example, in this big rally we just saw on soybeans and corn, incredible on global demand from China, tight stocks, the weaker dollar. I began to see this drought break in Argentina, which is the number third producer in the world uh, for corn and soybeans. I recommended the clients last week, hey, you folks better start hedging some corn and beans. These are great prices. I think we're going to see a sell-off in the market. Bang. This drought broke the last few days in Argentina. Not the only factor in the market. We saw about a 50 to 60 cent break in beans the last two days and 20 cents in corn. And what I do is not only give uh, weather forecast analysis, but really tailor to to farmers and traders and help them develop uh, more short to longer term hedging strategies and trading strategies and options and things uh, based on my analysis of the weather. So I'm glad that you brought up the drought in Argentina because South American weather is definitely something that a lot of folks have been keeping their eye out on. So why don't you give us the rundown on what is going on down there and what can we expect in the coming weeks? Well, um, typically strong La Nina's can reduce production of corn and soybeans by 5 or 10% in South America. We've seen a slight reduction from a dry 
October, November, December in parts of Mato Grosso, the main producing area of soybeans in northern Brazil, and some of the corn crops been reduced with uh, low plantings, poor soils back in December. Um, a lot of this move up in grains, though, began with the Iowa windstorm last summer, uh, the lower crops, then the Chinese demand and the technical nature of the market. Um, but right now is a critical time of the year through February for both corn and soybeans in Brazil and Argentina. And this La Nina is such that um, it's not going to produce widespread droughts like we saw in other years, I think like 2011 down in South America. Um, so the some improvement in the crops means come April and May when they begin to harvest the grain crops in South America, unless we have a full-fledged drought, you may begin to see some hedge pressure uh, that could pressure corn and beans ahead of our, our planting season this spring and summer. So you you mentioned La Nina, and when we were talking, when we were scheduling this out, you had mentioned La Nina. Can you just dive a little bit more into that and what we can expect from this upcoming La Nina season? Sure. So La Nina um, is a cool ocean current that extends off the coast of Peru out across the central Pacific along the equator. And um, the trade winds tend to reverse. Uh, in which you have um, rains over Australia to, uh, and usually dry weather over parts of Brazil and Argentina. Um, and historically, you see a reduction in corn and soybean crops. Um, but not all La Ninas are the same. We have to look at what's happening with sea ice, what's happening over Antarctica. Um, there are a lot of other what we call teleconnections, weather patterns thousands of miles away that can influence uh, a particular country's weather. So La Nina got the, the ball rolling with the grain market here in the last couple of months with droughts, but um, this particular La Nina seems to be being influenced by other weather factors in Antarctica that's going to bring about a change in the weather pattern through at least the first part of February with a lot of rain coming to Argentina and southern Brazil. <clears throat> La Nina typically creates uh, some droughts in, in parts of the Midwestern Plains region come the spring and summer. So though I expect maybe some sell-off in the grain market sometime this winter or early in the spring on improving South American weather, we still have potential uh, in the, with the Midwest dryness coming back and, and the wheat areas in Kansas and Texas for an explosive grain market um, after the Brazilian and, uh, uh, and Argentina harvest of crops uh, this spring and summer. So talking about the U.S., you know, here and a short while, really, we're going to start planting a lot of our major crops and commodities. So what weather can we anticipate having this planting season? Well, um, again, mainly because of La Nina, 75 percent of all cases going back to 1950, you tend to get into a dry April through June. Now, I do see some rains and snows coming into Iowa and Nebraska over the next 10 to 15 days. That's going to be important. But I'm not sure we're going to be looking at widespread, you know, feet and feet of snow and rains the next six to 10 weeks that would give us ample soil moisture, much of the Corn Belt. But bottom line is, I think there are going to be at least some spotty areas of, of crop problems. And given the inflationary fears of the weaker dollar, um, the U.S. printing all this money, which is uh, helping like the Bitcoin market soar and helping a lot of precious metals rally. Uh, we're in an inflationary environment that if we combine that with a dry spring, if that was to happen, and nothing's for certain, but it could in parts of the Corn Belt, then we could potentially see uh, a lot higher grain prices uh, four to six or eight months from now. It's possible. So you're using weather really in a way to 
you know, predict what can happen in the markets and, you know, analyzing how it impacts global trade or, you know, the global marketplace. And I just, I think that that's certainly interesting, but how can crop producers kind of do the same thing? Do you understand what I'm trying to ask? Well, obviously, um, yeah, I mean, as far as trading ideas, um, you know, I mean, I know DTN, a lot of services out there, have all these different strategies and, you know, hedging grains and things like that. Um, I, I think, um, you know, obviously a farmer in Iowa wants a wet spring, a normal summer, but wants the eastern corn belt to have a drought and the grain market to go up. He doesn't want his crop to be hurt, right? Uh, and if it is, he's got to obviously hedge by either selling puts or buying call options or buying futures. Right now, look at how uh, high prices are. I mean, you know, $5 corn and a new crop beans are like $10 to $11. You know, 80 to 90% of the time going back the last 20 years, you don't see prices this high come the spring and summer. Though we could see a bull market, I think hedging maybe 20 to 30% of your, of your 2021 production at these prices, just in case we don't have a La Nina type of drought, I think makes a lot of sense. So that's how I kind of advise people. If we, now, we get into the spring and it looks really wet, you better sell a lot more of your production. If we end up being dry and that continues into, into the pollination stage of corn in July and August and the pot setting stage for beans, then, um, you know, buying call options or buying futures will be something we would advise come the spring and summer. So you mentioned the derecho storm and one of earlier in our conversation. And I'm not sure if you're able to kind of detect uh, a possible storm similar to that, but is that something that we might see again happen this year? You know, I, I'll tell you something. I've been, <laughs> I've been in this business for 35 years, and I lived in Iowa during the Great Flood of 1993 when there was water up to my neck. And I'm six foot two. That's pretty high. Uh, I've never seen a storm like that ever in my life. I didn't even know how to pronounce it. I still don't. <laughs> um it's very hard to predict a, a thunderstorm of that intensity going a thousand miles across the Corn Belt, reducing the U.S. crop by with three to 500 million bushels. That's a once in a hundred year event. So, Jim, when we're thinking about weather and how it's affecting agriculture, we typically think about how it's affecting crops and, you know, things that we grow in the ground. Not really about animal agriculture, but how is the weather that we are going to be seeing, the weather that we're seeing right now, the dry weather, how is that really going to affect the livestock markets? Well, particularly in cattle, if you go back in history, the most severe droughts in Texas through Oklahoma and Kansas tend to create bear markets during the, the summer and fall because ranchers tend to liquidate their, their herds. Um, uh, cattle can't be grazing on grass because it's such a bad drought. If you have high corn prices, it's not affordable to feed them. So if we have that situation this spring and summer, and it's still a little early to say, about two-thirds of the La Ninas do create the higher spring and summer grain prices, the droughts to some of the cattle producing areas in Texas and Oklahoma, you could see Everyone's trying to sell their, their livestock and put pressure on the nearby contracts this summer and be bearish. But that reduction, that, that liquidation of herds could be a bullish situation for cattle, you know, one and a half to two years from now. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, the good news right now, we don't have a, a, a severely cold winter. You don't have the blizzard conditions hurting cattle and out on the plains, but you do have the drought situation that again, come spring and summer, we have to watch very closely. 
Well, Jim, is there anything else that you would like to add before I let you get back to doing other weather things? Well, you know, I certainly hope uh, this is a great year for farmers. I know with the, the trade war the last few years, the drought in the Western Corn Belt and and just, you know, COVID-19, everything else. Uh, and my heart goes out to all the farmers out there. Um, d- definitely hope uh, you have a safe year and we don't have a drought, hopefully. Um, and, uh, you know, we have good crops, but also higher prices. So just God bless everybody. Have a safe 2021. And if you want more information about how to hedge and how to get better long range weather forecasts using teleconnections, go to my site, uh, bestweatherinc.com. I have a couple of the different types of newsletters. Some are very inexpensive. If you love weather, you'll, you'll love going to my site. And Jim, besides your site, where can our audience find you online? Oh, okay. Well, you can find me on Twitter. Um, you, um, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's uh, R-O-E-M-E-R. I have the nickname Dr. Weather. Don't tell anybody. I don't, have a, I don't have a PhD. I have a PhD maybe in agricultural meteorology, just experiencing it and being in the Midwest for so many years. But I didn't actually go to grad school for that. Um, I, I turned the thousand. Thousand dollars and the twenty thousand dollars trading soybeans after college. I thought that was a fortune. Never went back to school, so I got into the ag business that way. Um, but yeah, just you, you find me on Twitter, um, Google me, LinkedIn. Be happy to talk to you. All righty. Well, Jim, thanks again so much for coming on today. Thanks. Enjoyed it. It was great. Thanks again there to Jim Romer for coming on the podcast and talking weather. I think it's definitely interesting how you can use weather to determine, you know, how well a crop can do. And we talked a little bit about livestock there, which definitely isn't a sector of agriculture that I typically think about when I'm thinking about weather. But thanks again, Jim, for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. It's always great to talk to different folks in the industry that have got different opinions. And weather is obviously a big, important one that plays into markets on a daily basis. But so do other fundamental factors, as well as other news going on in agriculture. And you can catch up on everything we're watching on any past episode of the Ag News Daily podcast. Find us at agnewsdaily.com or follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.